Here that podcast ground is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Bengals ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And I know you don't want to go to Bengals games anymore. You've had enough. Well, you can go to pretty much any major league team across any league, all the teams, all the games, tickets available for that. You, we can even just, you know what, you're giving up on sports altogether. You're done with the Bengals, you're done with all sports, music, theater tickets, it's got it all. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download the Game Time app and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. <laughs> Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Dater Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are still here. We're still doing it. 0-9, going to Oakland. Let's go. Let's let's talk Bengals. Who's not hitting stop? At least the weather's changed. There's something that's different. Maybe not for the best, <laughs> but at least we have snow, we have cold. Hey, sloppy it up, get some snowy, cold days. That's when you get some weird results. That's what they need. Weird, They need weird results at this point. Although, that is their best hope. That it, <laughs> that it gets weird. Oh, man. We, we surprisingly do have a lot to get to today, I think. I think. I don't know. We We may just concede halfway through. Just sort of like the, sort of like the Bengals did yet, did on Sunday. Which, ah, you know what? Can we just ride this one out and run it forty times? Let's just. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how much we really discussed that uh, on the walkout on Sunday about the, the just the bizarro world that exists, where you lose, you're down, you're down by thirty seven, and your running back is setting a career high for carries, like your main running back. Joe Mixon carrying 30 times in a 49 to 13 blowout is that's I can't say that anyone could have ever predicted that confluence of stats on Sunday. I did ask Brian Callahan about that yesterday, and uh, he he had a comment that made sense. We'll 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 save that for a little later. We'll bring him in for behind the curtain, but um, yeah, and I asked Joe about it after the game too. You know, it's Joe's been. Not, not in give me the ball mode, but it's clear that he's been frustrated with his lack of carries. And, and I asked him about, you know, slamming it into the line seven or eight times in a fourth quarter where you're down by 30 something. And, and he said he was all for it. He, 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 he's, he said he's never going to quit. He didn't have any problem with it. I, I thought it was curious. Um, maybe that was a spot to get Travion Williams in to, you know, you, you, last thing you want is a guy to get hurt late in the game like that. Uh, so it was curious that they didn't go to Travion. Uh, Gio was a little nicked up, so that made sense. So that it just kind of left Joe to, to to go out there and, and and take the the hits. And yeah, thirty was a career high. But I do think that uh, he was being honest there that he really did like that. It, it felt good to kind of get going and and get some more carries and, and show them that he is all in um, on a team where maybe not everybody is. Hey, you know what? This is also a little bit of. Hey, you said you wanted to carry the ball. All right. right? So here you go. Here's 30 and a blowout. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> okay. We'll get to that. I think, I think we'll get to a little bit more of the run game later. You mentioned we're going to have, you're going to hear from Brian Callahan, uh, offensive coordinator on right, you know, Ryan Finley and run game and some of the other stuff that he had to talk about in a, in a, as usual, interesting conversation with, uh, Brian on Monday. Uh, we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper look at Ryan Finley, what it means, what we saw, what to expect, things like that uh, from from his first start. Because you know why, Jay? Because that's where we're at. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you, speaking of because that's where we're at, I, I kind of want to pl- do a little exercise here. Uh, not actual exercise, of course. That would be ridiculous. Uh, but a, a little exercise in looking at 
if the Bengals are, as we anticipate, going to gut this roster in the offseason, what will be gutted? Who will be gutted? Why would they be gutted? And what will that look like? Uh, so we're going to kind of play that game with we know the free agents and maybe we can take guesses on, you know, we can take guesses on who would be re-signed, who would be extended, and then who would be cut, who would be traded. Uh, we'll kind of do a quick cursory glance at that. Obviously, we'll have a lot of the offseason once we get really through the rest of this year and in January and stuff like that to go through it. But uh, I thought it would be nice to touch on that now because you know why? It's what people are talking about. It's all that's really interesting, and so that's what we're doing. Uh, we'll, of course, go into our offensive brute. Jay will have stats. Run passer boot is coming. So we'll get our requisite AJ conversation in there. Uh, we'll, of course, talk about – this week in Arby's, and uh, you live in Hamilton, so dot, dot, dot. Make sure we catch all our segments this week. <laughs> Man, <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble with the people of Hamilton. No. <laughs> it could be a good thing. It could be you live in Hamilton, so you got money back on your taxes, or they passed a bond levy. I don't know. Like, it, that doesn't have to be negative. You are assuming that it's going to be negative, Jay, and I feel like that's kind of Hamilton of you. Okay. I'll try to come up with something between now and then <laughs> positive. Uh, speaking of, let's talk about Ryan Finley. Uh, Jay, you wrote about it and, and dove a little bit more into some more comments, um, in post game, uh, with sort of a, sort of a deeper, deeper look at what exactly ha- happened with Ryan Finley, um, what there was to be encouraged about. And it's weird because the team gets their butt kicked and, you know, you're like trying to find, and the and the quarterback, by the way, gives up 14 points, um, and you're and you're trying to find positives in it, um, but there really were some, and and it's the the egregious mistakes of the fumble and the pick six are out there, obviously. But if you really, I think, in order to start the judgment, which you know we've got seven more games to do, you've got to kind of look at the bigger picture, and the bigger picture had had probably more encouraging moments than not necessarily from Ryan Finley. Yeah, I think when you, you look at it, what a lot of times when a guy makes his NFL debut, he's, he's in that position because he's got physical skills. And, and those are the things that, that he's going to show right off the jump. And, and maybe it's the, the mental aspect of it that, that needs work. And they were really happy with, with the way that he read the defense and, and got them out of, uh, the plays they were in and, and into better plays. And it was just the execution, um, that, that went wrong. And a lot of times the, the, the pick six was a play where he recognized that the, the blitz was coming. He got him into a better play. He had that, that was the right throw to make to Alex Erickson on the sideline. He just hesitated a little bit, threw it too late. And then because he was late, he didn't lead him outside. He, he left it inside a little bit because he didn't want to run him out of bounds. And Marcus Peters, Peters took it 89 yards for a touchdown. There, there were a lot of plays like that where they were, they were really encouraged with, with the mental part of how Fenley played and they assume the physical is going to come along. Um, Brian Callahan made the point that, that it wasn't, it wasn't the game was too fast for Ryan. It was, it was his, his self that was too slow that he's he's not used to playing full speed football like that that the preseason is a completely different animal and, and you're playing against lesser caliber players and uh he he thinks all he needed was that one game to kind of get his body sped up and his mind's racing where it's supposed to be now he just needs to play a little faster um but there were there were a number of plays that he pointed to. There was a third and 11 that he converted to Tyler Boyd. There was a third and 10 that he converted to Tyler Boyd. And, and he had another uh, really strong play where he beat the blitz and, and threw one to Auden Tate. Um, it, it was just a matter. He was a little inaccurate, uh, a, a little slow with his own mechanics. Um, but it was, it wasn't the train wreck that, that you sometimes see when a, a guy gets thrown in against a really good defense that blitzes as much as the Ravens do. And, you know, when you go down 14-0 so quickly, I mean, they had run three plays essentially and it's 14 nothing, And yeah. and in the defense is showing no sign of stopping anything. You know, I, I, I credit them in a respect and that they just stuck with their game plan and were just, 
regardless of the scoreboard, we're going to try to go out there and run a certain game plan because that's what was more important. Um, but it's just a tough mental spot for everybody to be in and, and to say, oh, well, we're just going to try to matriculate the ball down the field and, and whatever. The, the problem, the, the, the issue that you're, that you're going to find and, and what he's got to prove is, is, is can he, can he throw the ball down the field? Can he stretch the defense? You know, his arm is not the strongest. He is going to be in a spot where they're going to need him to take the top off at some point. They've had enough problems with that as, as is. And can he do that? I mean, he didn't have a completion over 15 yards. So, you know, you can throw the underneath stuff all you want, and that's great. You know what? The right checkdowns, the uh, the right intermediate stuff, being accurate in there is a big part of the game. But at some point, you're going to need to show that you can challenge the defense vertically, that you can at least take some shots down the field and potentially be accurate there. And and I, I don't know if we're, he's got to prove that. And that this game didn't necessarily lend itself to that. This roster doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. We we talked ad nauseum about how Andy Dalton even had trouble get in this getting anybody to be able to push the ball down the field. And when you look at the skill set of the receivers and everything, um, to me that's what I'm looking for. That that's what we need to see from Ryan Finley at some point is the ability to push it, the ability to challenge the defense down the field. And I mean, I feel like we kind of know that he can. He can execute the underneath stuff fairly well, but that's not going to make you a, a, a good quarterback and certainly not going to make you the type of quarterback that he needs to be in order to fend off the Bengals taking one at the top of the draft. Yeah, because it's not just taking the top off the defense and throwing the nine route, throwing the deep ball. It's, it's those intermediate ones where, you know, he's Alex Erickson is not going to get great separation on a DB. And Auden Tate, is as fantastic as he is with his catch radius and his size, he's, he's not – going to get wide open, you know, 20 yards down the field on a crossing route. Um, even Tyler Boyd, he's, he's terrific in the slot. He's a great route runner, but he, he's, he's going to give you little windows where you got to fit it in there. And that Ryan's arm isn't the strongest and, and his accuracy really struggled because of that. Uh, we saw on, on some of those deeper throws, like he had Auden Tate uh, down in the red zone on one and sailed it. It almost looked like an intentional throwaway. And, and Tate was open and he just sailed it over his head. And that, that's where you, you wonder how much improvement can he show there? Cause, cause arms don't get stronger. You, you kind of come into the league with, with the arm you have and, uh, he's going to have to find ways to work around that. And until AJ Green and John Ross show up there, he, he's not going to have, he's not going to have easy throws to make down the field. He's going to have to fit it in in tight windows. And I'm not sure he has the arm to do that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when we start to when we play everything through the lens of the top quarterback picks and say, okay, Ryan Finley is not beating Joe Burrow or Tua Tagovailoa. Like, if the Bengals are picking one or two, I mean, Ryan Finley would have to play out of his mind, and they'd have to win games. And if they and if that would be the case, they wouldn't be picking one or two. If the Bengals are picking one or two, it's going to be one of those two guys because that means they didn't win games with Ryan Finley. And those guys are better than him. And those are the guys you build your franchise around. Okay. Ryan Finley's trying to be better than Justin Herbert or Jacob Eason, any of these other, the, the next level down. If, if that's the case is if, if he could go out there and win some games and prove himself to be developing to the point that you feel really good about what he's pushing the ball down the field. He's he's showing some moxie, maybe a, maybe a game winning drive or two, and get you where you're picking fourth or fifth, whatever, you know. And the Bengals are there deciding between Chase Young or the top offensive lineman and that tier two quarterback. Are they going to go and say, "Hey, we're going to play it out with Ryan Finley for another year and see where we're at," or? And, and try to just say, hey, we think he's good enough that he can he can win a lot of games and we're going to build around him? Or are they going to take a chance on a guy who maybe isn't as good? You know, uh, a correlation that was brought up to me not too long ago uh, was, you know, look back at when, uh, you know, the Bengals' 2011 draft and that draft as a whole – 
goes down as as uh, one of the greats. And Denver took Von Miller number two, and they're sitting there with Tebow, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, "What are we gonna do? Are we gonna are are we gonna take Von Miller, or are we gonna look at this next tier down of quarterbacks, which was like Blaine Gabbert and Christian Ponder? Dalton ended up being in that draft. It was Cam Newton and Dalton ended up being the gems of that draft. But they're like making that – that's the decision you're having. Are you going to take that next level down and hope that he can become that guy? Maybe you're not 100% on board, but he could. Or are you going to take what you think could be a dominant other player? And it was pointed out that Von Miller ended up being a big part in that team winning the Super Bowl a few years down the road. Now, so was Peyton Manning. Uh, <laughs> but we're getting the Super Bowl a couple times too. And so – but that changed the complexion of their defense and their team as a whole, having that guy. You know, Super Bowl MVP. And so you have to – that's the decisions that you're talking about. This is not – Ryan Finley needs to play good enough to be better than the next tier down because if they're picking one or two, we know what that's going to be. But is he going to be good enough where if they're sitting there at three, they'd rather take Chase Young than Justin Herbert or whoever else you you view as that next level down. And maybe some people will debate that Justin Herbert should be in that next level up, and he's being forgotten here, and that's fine. Maybe you're talking about the, the fourth pick, whatever it is. It's is he going to be better than who is he going to be better in amongst this draft class of quarterbacks that's coming out? Yeah, I mean that's a tough call. If, if you're sitting at three and Chase Young is there, I, I I mean as bad as they need a quarterback, they they need an impact guy on defense. They could you imagine them taking an. Oregon quarterback number three in a draft <laughs> where they go one, two, three again. Can we not tr- just trip directly into the nineties? I'm not saying Justin Herbert is Achilles Smith. I'm saying those parallels are a little too strong for any Bengals fan to handle without vomiting right now. Well, and if there's one team that is very adept at repeating history and doing the same <laughs> thing over and over again, it's this one it, that, that may be what we're looking at. But I, oh I don't God. see how you do. I don't see how you do it. I, I know they need a quarterback, but you're right. If if Finley does anything at all, they're they're not going to be picking one or two. And I just I don't know how you can take the third or fourth best quarterback when when, when a guy like Chase Young is there. I, I know how important the quarterback position is, but man, this if it goes to hell offensively, then you're going to be picking up again at the top again the next year, maybe get your quarterback that year if, if Finley falls apart. But nothing's a lot. You don't know that you'll be back at the top of a draft again. You don't know if you'll have a chance at a real talent again. Um, you know, I mean, and, and again, this goes back to the evaluation of those other guys. And do you believe there's a real guy beyond what it seems like we ever most are in agreement right now of the top two? You know, do you believe that those other guys are real and that you are willing? Because look, for Zach Taylor and for this franchise, it's, it's their, it's their shot. And it would, it will be Zach Taylor's ride or die guy. I mean, that's it. It's that guy works or Zach Taylor doesn't work more than almost, almost certainly. Uh, so you need to make sure that you're picking a real guy and get it right or else or else you can go the other direction you could or or you could trade down and accumulate lord knows they need to accumulate accumulate a ton of picks for somebody that's going up that does think a, there's a real guy at quarterback or whatever it is um you know you're you're you just Ryan Finley needs and that's why he's playing eight games and that's why he's not coming out and that's why they made this move because they need to know that for certain where that stands before they make that pick and, and, and figure that side of things out. And that, you know, you mentioned Zach, that that's the other question in this is, you know, if they're in that no man's land, picking third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is, how big is his voice in that decision? You know, obviously Marvin's voice got more and more important when it came to drafting as, as his, he went in his career, but Zach's in year two. I, I, I don't know. If if the front office is set on getting a game changer on defense, is is Zach going to be able to change your mind? Because you're right, whoever this next quarterback is 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 going to be tied to to Zach's success here. Um, so is it is it the front office making the call, or is it is it Zach and Brian Callahan saying 
we need a quarterback regardless of whether he's a second-tier guy and Chase Young's still on the board. Or another guy, or another defensive guy that could can make an impact. Maybe or an offensive lineman. <laughs> I mean, if you could get another top tackle, and you could now have Jonah Williams and and a number four overall draft pick at tackle. You know, if you're talking about the kid from Georgia or whoever, um, or you know, if you saw like a Quentin Nelson type, you know, that could come in and cha- I mean, the way he changed things over in Indianapolis as well. You know, you could move back a little bit and get some players like that. And now you're talking about accumulating. Now you're talking about multiple picks, which is so much a part of what they actually need to do. There's a, there's going to be so many, and it's hard, it's hard to judge this and talk about it fully now until you really know where they land. But that's part of what Ryan Finley is going to be charged with doing is winning a couple of games. And if he, if he can, he can win himself a job. If he can't, then he's going to be the backup next year to whoever that dude is. So, go ahead. I was say, even if even if it's the the smartest and the most logical, the best move, all that, if they trade back and take an offensive tackle, this fan base is going to lose its mind. You think? I mean, as much as they hate Bobby Hart and have bemoaned this offensive line, you think there would be a problem by taking an offensive lineman? I do. I, I, I think everybody is dead set on on getting the quarterback. That's what has to happen. That's what I mean. It, it might be the right move. It, it, but I, we talked about this franchise repeating history. I mean, I, I still think 2015 is fresh in everybody's mind. And if if they trade back and 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 yeah. get it, no nobody likes taking tack. No fan likes taking a tackle in the first round. Anyhow, they like the sexy picks. And if if this franchise that that needs, I mean, they need everything. But if if they go tackle, I just. I, I think you're going to see people jumping off. They're already jumping off, but what, who, the ones that are left are going to start fleeing. Yeah. I mean, well, trade, trading back would be a scenario of, you know, you would assume that you'd be getting like when the Eagles came up for Carson Wentz or what, I mean, these end up being insane payouts where you're getting two and three and four first round picks over multiple years. Um, you know, it, that would have to be the case, and you would have to say that. Well, we believe in we're, we're not necessarily believing. It, it, trust me, I understand how it's a tough sell, but the you would be adding multiple players that could reform the rest of your team. Now, I they need to take a quarterback if they're one or two. There's no if ands or buts for me about it, and I think probably inside of there uh, in the front office that has a lot of time to play itself out, but. All snares that we're playing out without knowing exactly where this lands. More than likely, they pick number one. They take Townie Joe, Joe Burrow, and everybody's everybody, including me and you from OU, are are happy to have an Athens boy uh, as, as the number one spot in the organization. Oh, the stories! Well, we're going to go back to Athens, and we're going to write so many features. I was just saying, we're going to have to fight over that assignment, but we're, we don't have to. We can both jump in a car. No, and we can, we can we're going go. in together. We're going in together. We're hitting the bars and talking to anybody that ever knew Joe Burrow while we while we do a court street shuffle. All right, dibs on the CI. You can have any other bar you want, but I'm going to CI. <laughs> uh, I want to play. Uh, I want to play this game out as we talk about next year in a minute. But first, since we were talking so much about Ryan Finley about and about this offense, let's do a little behind the curtain. Uh, and then bring you with offensive corner Brian Callahan um, from Monday, just to give you a little bit more insight into Finley uh, and and into kind of some of the areas where they stand offensively uh, heading into the Oakland games. We'll do that, and we'll come back and we'll take a little bit a better look at next year's roster and how it could be gutted. So here is offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. What did you think about his accuracy, Brian? I think he was as advertised, extending yeah. pl- extending plays mm-hmm. and being cool and everything like that. The one thing that maybe didn't, you know, we thought, at least I thought he'd be a little bit more accurate. What did you think about his accuracy? Um, I thought it, I thought there was some throws that weren't what you would need to have uh, on, you know, in an NFL game. You know, the interception you can't have, you can't leave the ball inside. He knows that. Uh, if he threw it on time, he probably would have had a better shot. But he's a little bit late and threw the ball a little bit inside and against a good corner like Marcus Peters, who's apt to, to jump on a route like that. That was the result. So mm-hmm. it was a painful lesson for him uh, and for us to be honest so um, but I don't think we'll see that happen again uh, in that manner so uh, you know there's plenty of throws out there that I think that, that we're on target uh, we, they, that's a good coverage secondary uh, there wasn't a whole lot of 
uh, wide open guys. <laughs> to be honest, it was, right. they were covered pretty tight, and mm-hmm. our guys had to make some contested plays, and and they did some, and they didn't. So, uh, you know, I'd say there's probably a couple, two, three minus real minus throws, but I don't know that uh, the numbers necessarily paint how how the game went. It was just it was some tough sledding for him and for the receivers just based on what was out there, coverage wise. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the guys blitzing on that play on the interception of safety. Mm-hmm. I think it was was a car. Uh, yeah, they were he, all he, coming on that play. Well, he pulled up and he, he kind of left into he the jumped, passing. Yeah. It, did, did that affect the timing or the where he put the ball? I don't or, think so. No, I don't think so. I think I think he, you know, those plays, those those happen so quick sometimes that um, I don't think he had any effect on the, the delivery of the throw. Yeah. Um, really, if, if you look at it, really was he's, he was he was late. You know, he held the ball about a tick longer than you need to, and in a situation like that, where tight coverage and. Um, and the guy's jumping the route, and then he left it just inside, which is Cardinal sin number one on throwing the ball to the sidelines. Yeah. So he, he's late and left it inside, and the result was a 90-yard touchdown the other way, and that's usually how it works. Yeah. What was his demeanor like when, when you got him on the, the phone, I he's guess? Good. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, the, the part that I think was the most uh, impressive about that series of events is that, you know, we go down there, we put a good drive together, we turn the ball over and give up seven points. He bounces back on the very next drive and puts – takes it all the way down the field and doesn't really flinch and throws right back at Peters. Uh, again, on a zero blitz, he throws a stop route to Auden Tate uh, versus zero blitz. He got the right protection call, got it picked up, threw it to Tate. Tate finishes on a, uh, I think it was like a second and ten. Tate finishes on a, for, with a first down, like a 12-yard gain. Um, but t- showed no fear in going right back at him um, and showed no fear and nothing negatively affected him that way where he just went right back down the field. So he responded the way you want to see a quarterback respond uh, to some adversity in a game because it's going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to go your way. Uh, and it's how does a guy come back and respond on the next drive? And I thought that, you know, he, he, he answered that bell uh, with flying colors, really, just to go right back down the field and not flinch and, and put points on the board. The fact that you guys did run it so much in the second half and, and you were down by so much, was was that because you had you were working on the new scheme and trying to get a feel for that? and Or was it, you know, not putting a rookie quarterback back there against the defense with its ears. That's back. part of it. You gotta be you gotta be smart. You know, if, if we drive, if we tried to drop back and pass, it, that wouldn't have been very fair um, to put Ryan in a position where he's gotta go against that defense and must in known passing situations and drop back forty five times. That's 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 a not uh, smart football for, for a young quarterback. It's not to, to do. I mean there's some guys that can handle that and Andy's handled it a couple times this year, but um, you know, to, to put him in that position versus a team that's going to blitz the hell out of him is probably not fair to him. So we, we were trying to manage that yeah. uh, with the fact that we were trying to score points, and it's you know it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. Do, you, do you subscribe to the school of thought that you've got to protect the young quarterback psyche early? Um, I mean, is that how important is that to make sure that, that they're not scarred, you know, from the jump, and that that kind of creates a snowball effect? Yeah, I think that's a that's that's always part of the the equation. You never want to put a guy out there. Uh, and just let him get feasted on by a team and, and just totally wreck any any sort of confidence that you can build. Um, what I do think is we, there's a lot of things that we can build with Ryan for his confidence from this game because of the way he, he kind of responded to some of the things, particularly the blitz the blitz stuff. Throwing against pressure uh, was really really positive. So um, yeah, you, you got to be you got to be mindful of that. You can't just uh, get a guy killed and, and in a first early start and, and hope that. That's not going to ruin, ruin his confidence because it, it can it take a toll. You talked about his demeanor after the pick. What was he like this morning? Was he like sitting in your office waiting for you to get here and ready to go? And he showed up early and wanted to watch the tape. So um, you know, we went went through all of it, and you know, he's he's a, he's a very conscientious. He understands how to prepare. Uh, that's part of what makes him um, attractive as a quarterback. And he's he's got a great demeanor. Uh, he's got a really really intense preparation. So I think that's what served him well in the game was the way he prepared during the week uh, and the intensity of uh, he goes about it. So, uh, yeah, he, he's he's frothing up the mouth for the next one, to be honest. I mean, he's just he's, – I think he just – he saw all the things that he could do so much better, and, and I think he's excited to get back and attack it again. Um, I'm, I'm, I think he's going to make a pretty good jump here in the next week or two. Just you gain these, these – He's just, we're just filling a bank full of things that he's got to get. You, you learn from. It's just there's no other experience you can, can – there's no other way to get the experience and get it. So, um, And he's learning at a, at a rapid rate. There's a lot of improvement. I think that will happen pretty quickly. And he's, and he's so open to it that uh, I think it will be, it'll be, it'll happen fast. All right, always good to hear uh, from Brian, who has uh, lots of good insight. I'd like to take a quick minute here uh, to talk to Bengals fans in particular. 
I know you're sad. And I know you're sitting there on the couch thinking about 0-9, having dreams about Joe Burrow while eating Hot Pockets. You know, your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're, you're, you're sick of the Hot Pockets. You're sick of the frozen pizza. Enter DoorDash, restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. Look, DoorDash, it connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. The good stuff, okay? And ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food's delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code GROWLIN, G-R-O-W-L-I-N, GROWLIN. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code GROWLIN. Don't forget, that's promo code GROWLIN for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Let's jump a little bit forward to next year. This is sort of a game that I caught, found myself playing the last couple of days. And really looking, look, they're going to gut this roster. The question is, who 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 is that and, and how does that go? And I think, you know, there certainly can be some surprises. We don't know for sure the true evaluation on everybody. I You know, you talk enough people, you get a, a decent feel on how you think it's going to go. But let me just drop some names and numbers on you real quick on who I think very realistically could go and how much money they're due to make next year. So how much money the Bengals really would be could clear out in cap to go out and add. You know, we know we're talking about a team that never adds free agents, but if they were going to gut the roster and turn over a lot of big money tickets, it would be with the idea of bringing in people that maybe would cost a little bit of money, but they're going to pay somebody. Uh, and so it can start to make your your brain flutter a little bit as you think about what that could look like. Uh, let's just I'm going to go down the, the the cap numbers, the top cap numbers, and and talk about realistic. I mean, anybody else is not really. If you're not making, you know, if, if you're not making at least three million, like we don't really, we're not really going to discuss your cap number next year. Like whatever. So that leaves we got about fifteen guys. Uh, Andy Dalton's cap number is 17.7. That will be off the books, right? I think all assumptions are he will be traded at some point uh, to any number of teams. You know, I think every single quarterback that's going to be out there next year has been linked to the Bears. So I'll go ahead and link Andy Dalton to the Bears. Uh, but any number of teams, look at what Ryan – I keep pointing this out. Look at what Ryan Tannehill is doing in Tennessee. It's the perfect example of a spot for Andy Dalton, a place where you have a QB sort of on the outs, on the edge, where it can push the starter, and if the starter doesn't do well, you can go to that guy to come in and take it over. And Ryan Tannehill's taking it over to beat the Chiefs. Um, Geno Atkins, I think, will be here. He's at 14.2 just because his his money is a little lopsided still. Uh, you have 7.8 in dead money you have to take on versus only versus saving 6.4. The next biggest number would be Drake or Patrick at 11.25. That's a huge contract. Uh, they would save 8.45 and take on 2.8 in dead money if they let him go. I see that. I, I think this could be the end for Drake or Patrick here. When you look at that contract, you look at that number, and you look at what you're really getting in production, I, you know, I feel like that's a big number for somebody uh, that isn't necessarily at the core of what you're doing going forward. I don't think. I mean, he was that was a Marvin extension, you know? Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, so, I think that's going to be a big one to look out for. I could absolutely see that happen. I mean, you could try to trade him if somebody wanted him, but you could cut him, and you're not taking on that much as well. Um, so I think I think that will be part of I, I think he'll be part of a gutting. It, it feels like if I were if you were giving me a fifty fifty shot, I would I would take him not being here next year and them taking that money. Carlos Dunlap, you know, just got this deal right, and he was rumored in trade market. I, I think Carlos Dunlap is a prime trade con- candidate this off season. Somebody looking for a veteran pass rusher. The problem is how many people are willing to take on a contract where you're paying Carlos Dunlap eleven million dollars next year. And um, what were they give for him? 
Right, because of that. I mean, maybe the Bengals would have to eat some of the contract. You know, they don't like doing that. They would save – if they just cut them, they would save 6.5, but they would be eating 4.5. You know, they don't like to eat that money. You know, they'd probably rather just have him come around and, and stick around and play another year. Um, I think they would have to find a nice trade partner that would be willing to give them something there, and maybe they do. Uh, but that trade partner would probably be needing to take on that salary, and that's the problem. I mean, that's the issue with the Carlos Dunlap trade, if you're going to get rid of him, is who wants a 30-plus-year-old pass rusher that hasn't had many sacks um, and is making $11 million? <laughs> I'm looking for hands across the league at the owners' meetings. I don't see any up. So that's you the, wonder that's the though, part. because there's so many teams think that you uh, the whole new scenery thing, and they they can get the best out of a guy when you you take a guy from a bad situation. I I, I know, yeah, the money, the age, all that is is a little daunting, but I do think there'd be a market for him. I I, I think a, a team that just needed that extra pass rusher that you know maybe depending on where they fall in the draft, they don't think they can get an impact guy right away or they need have other needs. Um, I do think there'd be a market for it, but they're, obviously they're going to lowball the Bengals and it's, it's what the Bengals are going to be willing to accept to, to get rid of him. But even more so than the age, or I'm sorry, more so than the, the dollars is might be his age. I, I mean, they, if they're going to gut this thing that they need to go young everywhere and yeah, you need some veteran leaders in there, but I'm, I'm not sure um, Carlos really kind of fits that mold. So no, I, I, I think I think that would be, you know, a spot that that would make sense to to move on and and go ahead and eat a little cash and maybe even a little eat a little bit more of the the salary in a trade. Um, I I you know you said Dre might be fifty fifty. I I think Carlos is a little more than that. I think Dre is a little more than that. I, I think both. No, I, I yeah, I, I would agree with you, I, Dre. I meant if you were looking at it as a fifty fifty, I would definitely be on the other side. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I I would if I was putting a number on Dre, I would say seventy six point four. Seventy six point four percent is where I'd fall on that. And on Carlos, I'd probably be more at a fifty fifty. Partially, I can tell you this though about Carlos. Unless he stays here and has a monster like re breakout next year for some reason, he ain't seeing that twenty twenty one contract. He would be a thirteen point five cap number, and there's only two point two in dead money left. They'd be saving eleven and a quarter million dollars uh, by getting rid of him. You, he he. If he does stick around next year, will be his last year here. That yeah, almost no feels inevitable. Then, unless, like I said, unless he just all of a sudden rediscovers the fountain of youth, and you believe that he's going to be something at thirty-two, um, that he ain't seeing that. Um, so, if you keep going down the list, you know you you find some more interesting numbers, and so now now we've cleared seven. We've cleared the the seventeen for Andy. Jay, you want to write this down? Add them all. We'll add them all up as we okay. go. Seventeen point seven for Andy. Then you've got this is just their cap numbers. So, so seventeen point seven. We'll just do cap savings. Drake or Patrick eight point four five. Uh, it would be your savings against the cap if you got rid of him. Carlos, let's say let's say you unload that whole that whole uh, thing. Six point five five in cap savings. Okay. Uh, William Jackson's gonna stay. He's next. He's on the fifth year option, so he's he's gonna stick around. Cordy Glenn, that's gone. gone. Nine point two five zero. That's uh ninety nine point nine. Just because I'll never say never, and I still can't believe he's on the team right now. Uh, so I'll I'll, I'll go ninety nine point nine and Cordy Glenn gone. Uh, so Say that's nine point two for him. Nine point two five for Cordy okay. Glenn. We're clear. Th- it's adding up in a hurry. Tyler Boyd, you just extended him. You like him. He's coming back. Preston Brown. You gave him a contract, but it has it has some favorable money for you. Uh, he's his total number is five point eight, but you would on you would only be eating one point six. So cap savings of four point two two on Preston Brown. He's gone. So that's like you know that that I'll put that at eighty eight point seven percent that Preston Brown is gone. So now you, you're adding four point two in there. CJ Uzama just signed you like John Miller is sticking around. Uh John Ross, 
is his money is is lopsided. You have to make a decision on a fifth year option with him. I'm assuming they will turn that down. I don't know. Maybe they believe that he's going to start being healthy. I don't know what's going to happen with him. But he's in the last year of his rookie deal. Maybe they trade him. There are rumors of them trying to trade him last year. Uh, Bobby Hart's money. He's only making four point eight five. Yeah, they probably at the very least if they get a, someone to start in front of Bobby Hart, you're keeping Bobby Hart as your swing tackle. That's kind of swing tackle money a little bit as a backup. That's probably. Sean Williams is staying. He's a part of their future. They're building around him. The, they, he's proved that this year. Geo, they just extended. Obviously, they believe in him. Jonah Williams. B.W. Webb, I think cornerback depth, especially if you're getting rid of Drake or Patrick, is something they're going to want. Billy Price is on a rookie deal, so he's not really uh, – I mean, they're not going to – they wouldn't cut him. The money's weird. You'd have to trade Billy Price. I don't see that happening either. At the very least, he's proven himself as a nice backup to have for right now. He can back you up at center. He can back you up at guard. Um, and, you know, you you, you, pro- you probably like his presence in the locker room, so you're not going to get rid of him. And then we're into a bunch of guys that aren't making that much money. What do we end up with? Well, for the, the big five, for Andy, Dre, Carlos, Cordy, and Preston, it's $46.2 million. That's just in caps. That's cap savings. $46.2 million in cap savings next year, right? That is a lot of money on top of the fact that they already will have plenty of cap space coming into it. Now, and this is why I get mad about haggling over the AJ Green contract. You've got so much money that you're, you have ability to save and a ton of money available. And if you want to build around that guy, build around that guy, build around AJ and Gino and, and, and cut the rest. Think about what you can do with that. I mean, that is three to four premier players. Now, and this is a theory where you're all of a sudden spending in free agency like a drunken sailor, and we know that's not something that they like to do. But if, you know, I go back to, and I'm, and I'm sort of on a tangent here, but I go back to when Marvin first came in 03, he came in and they did utilize free agency. They did bring in people because he felt like he needed to change the way the locker room looked. That didn't really happen here this year, partially, I think, because I don't think this staff really had a very good feel for what they were getting themselves into, clearly. And now they do. How could you not? And they're going to know exactly who they want to get rid of and have maybe a better view of who they could go after. Now, you're counting on this franchise to execute a plan correctly. That's inherently the issue, right? I mean... (laughs) <laughs> Talk about a 50-50 gamble. Yeah. Uh 23.1%. Uh so you're, you know, that's part of the issue. But the point is, when you look at that, and you know, the, how many free agents that they have coming up? 21. Are, would they Right, but how many are like real that you would want to bring back and that are anything resembling a big ticket item? It's AJ Green. Oh yeah. We know Quez, you know, is what is he? He's not going to demand that much. He hasn't added to his value, and his value was not much last year. Maybe, maybe you'd bring back Eifert. I think you're going to extend. I think Trey Hopkins is going to get a deal. Yeah, I think he has to. You're going to, yeah, I think you'll pay Trey Hopkins pretty big. I mean, he's earned it. Uh, you know, he's going to get he's going to get pretty good center money, which isn't some massive item either. Outside of that. I mean, what are we talking about? Carrie Wynn, Andre Smith, John Jerry, Leroy Reynolds, Vigil, gone. Maybe you give some decent money to Billings, pay Billings to come back. I think you get Fedge and, and Brandon Wilson and, and Seathan Carter back on small deals. They're, they're on guys nice can, little extensions. We yes. used to, the Alex Erickson money. Remember that? Right, it was like, right. you know, you giving them, it's a nice raise for them, but they're special teams role player piece guys. I mean, it's we're not talking about huge dollar figures on those dudes. And that leaves a lot of money out there. A lot. Even and if you give AJ 20. You even if you give AJ 20. And even if you do Bengals math, where you leave all that extra money for all the stuff that they do. We know how they view things. Even if you, even if you take all that into account, 
that leaves a lot of money out there to fix offensive line and linebacker and keep, and obviously you keep drafting and you would assume you would get you have traded a few of those pieces for some extra draft picks so maybe you have 10 draft picks again maybe you added a a 2 and a 3 and a 4 right you traded carlos andy and that got that netted you a 2 a 3 and a 4 or something now you have the number 1 overall pick two twos two threes and two fours and you could go add three to four you know at a at a high end linebacker find a high end linebacker uh add a couple offensive linemen and and you can you can go a little bit and you've re-signed AJ Green and you can go a little bit with that and you're feeling better now and you're taking the right steps and a coach in the second year and you feel better you got to do that they have to want to do that. It would be nice to hear from them and it just get, I mean, not tell us and the fans exactly what they're going to do, but just get some sort of idea of, of what they're thinking. That's, I think that's what a lot of fans are frustrated with is, is not hearing from the front office about what the plan is. Nobody really knows what the, they want to know that there's a plan. If you know that there's a plan, whether you agree with it or not, you, you know the team has a mission, and, and just the fact that they, they sit in silence, I think, is what really frustrates a lot of fans. How many um, owners? How many owners are out there talking on on a regular basis, or even at all during the season? We know Jerry's out there trying to sap up some spotlight. I think maybe Arthur Blanks once has had to come out and defend Dan Quinn. How many owners are we hearing from out there right now? I mean, honestly, it's a good thing to look at. Like, I we don't pay as close of attention to other teams. Maybe we should we'll, we'll have to check with our athletic staff and see how many ownership groups talk during the season at all. You do have GMs that talk, though, and that's at that's least a, that's, no, that's a representative voice from the front office. Um, right. You're right. Not a lot of owners do talk, but but uh, you know. It, I, I don't know if it's it's a gag order on Duke or if it's Duke's own personal decision not to talk. I get that they want Zach to be the voice of the franchise, franchise, but like Marvin was, but Zach's not making the decisions. Uh, so that, that just puts Duke him will in a talk. Really bad I mean, here here's the thing about that. Yes, it is an organizational decision for Zach to be the only voice in season. In season, they want everything to run through the coach, and you know that doesn't mean that there's some gag order of silence, you know, but. Uh, you know, they can still help people understand things a little bit. But once you hit the off season, I, I you know, Mike talks after the season. Uh, you, 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 Duke, you find him, you know, that he's on the podium multiple times. Mm-hmm. You have access to him at the owner's meetings, the combine. Uh, you get into the summer, mock turtle suit. I mean, in the summer, you know, Duke, Duke was as vocal and out there as I can remember last year. And, no, you're not, you mean, you're not going to get Katie to all of a sudden start holding press conferences. <laughs> That's never going to be who she's going to be. And Mike has his routine of when he talks, and there's a reason for that. You know why? Because every time he speaks, people lose their damn mind. <laughs> and I get it. And they should because he usually says something that pisses people off because everybody hates him, right? So they let him talk at the at the owners' meetings and at Mock Turtle, and that's it. So I don't know that they've necessarily had the conversations they need to have about what that plan looks like in the offseason. I think right now they keep all their focus on trying to win games, and then after the season ends, they go forward with it. It's sort of like we've talked about with Marvin all those years. That's how they deal with it, is the season ends, and Mike and Marvin have their little talk at 5 a.m., and that's when we learn what's going to happen next. That's how they operate. The season is the season. It's all focused on the games and winning the games. They don't talk much about the offseason. And is that an outdated stance? Absolutely. Should they be, you know, more interested in being active at the deadline? Sure. Absolutely. But, you know, that's how they operate. That's when we, I think, find out their plan. When they find out their plan, I think those are conversations they still have to have about all those guys we just talked about, all these theories we just talked about. A lot of that goes back to them still figure having to hash that out. You, what you were talking about, how much voice is Zach going to have? We don't know. I don't think we know when they, when Zach and Duke 
and Katie and Troy and Mike are sitting at their little table having their meeting in in January and they start talking about where to go next and start talking about trading Carlos Dunlap or drafting a quarterback or all of that, how those pan out, who eventually wins out. What does that – we don't know, and, and nobody but those five know because they lock it down. So I these are all things – so it would be f- interesting for them to come out and tell us their plan. I don't think they know it yet. I think they get through the season and then they assess what their plan is. That's been Mike's strategy with the coach position, with the roster, and everything for ever. I'm not saying it's worked, but that's that's what it is. And I get it to some point. I mean, a lot of it, you're, you're wasting energy if, if you're, cause so many things can happen. You know, injuries, uh, so, you know, multiple other things. The, the season takes a turn. They start playing better. What you, what you thought about one guy changes. But I, I just, I, it would, it still would make more sense to me to have, have a plan ha- and then have contingency plans. But you're right. They don't, they don't want to go that approach. They, they don't want to. Cr- Cross the bridge till they get to it, so to speak. And I would bet all five of the people that I mentioned have plans in their head. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that they do. I mean, but that doesn't. But they, I don't think they've sat together and come up what with what the you know the winner will be. Uh, but I'm positive that all of them have ideas of what it should look like. Man, we've got so much time to talk about this crap. <laughs> <laughs> Seven more weeks. But yeah, you know, of, of this season, and then we get into speculative season, and we, we're, you know, the draft doesn't even come to the end of freaking April. Oh my God, it's going to be so long. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into some segments here, uh, and we can wrap this up. Offensive brute of the week. Who's your offensive brute, Jay? I mean, I think you have to go mixing. Um, just the, the fact that, he ran it 30 times, a career high. Uh, it wasn't the ideal time to be running the ball, but he, he ran it effectively. It was a good sign that they, they got the run game going, even though it was kind of meaningless in that, in, in the micro sense of, of that game. I, I think it can have, uh, legs going forward, so to speak. Um, I just, I don't even know who else you would pick offensively, um, other than Joe. I don't, do you have somebody different? No, not necessarily. Pro Football Focus love Billy Price. If you're looking at their numbers, they they thought he had a really good game. They actually had this as the best, but by far the best pass protection game uh, of the season for the Bengals, and the and the worst passing game. <laughs> but uh, they they thought they protected pretty well. They gave Billy the highest grade amongst all the offensive linemen. Uh, you know, there, there was a, and, and, and everyone says, oh God, you never know, you never quite know what you're looking at. There was a play that, uh, Ben Baby from ESPN had posted up and I sort of subtweeted with a, what the F is going on with the offensive line for this? This was a three technique free runner and Billy goes over to his right and lets the guy run right by him. And everyone looks at it and says, Billy Price. But when you really look at it, it was a, it was basically a mental error from John Jerry who at, at the tackle position who was supposed to come down. Uh, and, and go, go get the three technique, but just, you know, didn't, didn't do it. And I think so much of, and that's a hard part of evaluating offensive line plays. You, you never know who is really making the mistake. And, and because it, you look at a play where Billy Price looks a dude in the eyes and then goes the other way. And you think like this dude just brain farted. Uh, but it always can be somebody else. So you have stuff like that. It, Billy, for whatever it is, People Ted Love take shots at him now, and and you know it's it's unfair that he had to go and and play on a field when Lamar Jackson played like that, considering he was the guy drafted in front of him by the Bengals. But I I think you're maybe finding he's figuring things out a little bit uh, at guard. I mean he's in a spot he's not played a ton for a while, and maybe he's a little out of position. You know I, I'm not going to give it to Mister Silver Mixon, but. Mixon only had 3.8 per carry. I mean, he did rush it a lot and good on him, and he, he finishes and he runs hard. Uh, but, you know, 3.8 is far from, uh, you know, the four point, what do you end up, 4.7 you ended up at last year or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, 
that that's neither here nor there. Well, we were watching uh, that play that you were talking about. We were watching that play um, in the press box right after the game, and it did. It looked it, it looked like Billy just passed a guy off, and then he's braced. He's looking for someone to block, and there's no one there. And it, it did look totally like it was on on him. And, and that ended up that free runner ended up being one of Ryan Finley's best plays of the game. Definitely, he, he spins away from the guy and kind of moves to his left and then throws it all the way. I mean, that that was his longest throw of the game, and it was, what, four yards. But he threw yeah. it all the way from the left side of the field to the right, hit Mixon. Mixon makes one guy miss. It goes for 23. It's their second longest play of the game. Um, so, so yeah, that, that that is a great point about, you know, kind of judging or grading offensive linemen because we were when we watched that play, we thought, what in the world is Billy doing? And then you, you find out that, well, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. It he was, was doing what he was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And he looks like he, he ends up looking like a jerk because somebody else didn't do their job. Uh, and that, that type of stuff happens all the time. There's plenty of times maybe with somebody else ended up looking like a jerk because Billy messed it up. But uh, that, that's just sort of part of it. Uh, run passer boot because we haven't talked about AJ Green and we of course have to talk about AJ Green every single week. Uh, AJ Green plays how many games this year? I'll divvy it up this way: one or one to two, three to seven, or zero. Run passer boot. Man, this is hard. Um... I know which way you're going and I kind of agree with you, but I, I just, I don't know. It, it's got to the point where, you know, he's trying to say it's not about the contract. It's about the ankle. I don't know that he can keep doing that on and on and on and on. I, I think he's got to come back. He can't just play one or two games. I, I'm going to run with three to seven. I think we're going to see him out there and I will, I'll, I'll pass on one to two. Um, maybe he does. Maybe he waits and comes back and plays the one game in Miami. Uh, and then I'll boot zero. I just, I, I can't see it devolving to that where we don't see him play at all this year. I, I think most likely is we're going to see three or more games out of him before the season ends. Wow. I, I'm running, I'm running with zero. Really? I, I'm running with zero. I, I think there's, I think there's a very real chance he doesn't play this year. Very real. Uh, I mean, he's got to feel totally comfortable being out there doing practices, and he's got this recurring swelling that, he, that we're calling on, and plus everything else that's going on. I, I, I am going to, I'm going to pass on three to seven because I think either he's decided screw it, I'll never feel good enough this year to really come back and play, or. It was just a minor setback, and we will see him in a couple of weeks. I'll boot one to two because I just I don't know that I see a scenario where like he waits until Miami and just plays the game against Miami and Cleveland and calls it a day. I guess that's possible where he can do that, show how good he looks a couple of weeks. Everybody knows he's healthy, so before he hits the free agent market, and he minimizes his injury risk. I could, I mean, I could see that, um, but I think that's maybe the most un, most unlikely. I think it's either one or the other. He's either d- digging his feet in the sand, uh, or he is really going to try to come back. And I, I don't think anybody really knows about him right now. Um, and so that's why I'm going to put those two on the edges, and I'll say three to seven. I'll pass on that. Uh, that's I don't know. That's interesting. We're both on the exact yeah, opposite, opposite side of yeah. zero. Um, okay. All right, this week in Arby's. What's going on with Arby's? Are you going to go to New York? Where did you did you end up checking out Ladanian Tomlinson's uh, Arby's Steakhouse? I didn't. I you know I just have I, I, one of those things where you you see the link and you click and it was like the worst fast food places uh, in America and it was the, it was the twenty five worst and so I clicked on it and right there first one twenty five Arby's. And then, so then I'm confused. Like, does that mean they're the worst, or that does that mean there's 24 worse than them? And it was there was 24 worse than them. It was all based on a customer um, satisfaction ranking, where it was a percent of customers who said they would return to that fast food place. And there were McDonald's, Burger King, uh, a lot of Taco Bell, Del Taco. I mean, there were a lot of big name restaurants that were worse. Than, than Arby's. So I, 
I was kind of encouraged by that. The, the, the fact that they were on the <laughs> list is is not good. But I mean, how many fast food places are there? Right. And, and the best part of that is if you find that link that like every single restaurant had a picture from a Reddit user of just the most unappetizing thing of slop they got served <laughs> at that place. And it's like, God, you look at that. It's like, why would you ever eat at any of these places? But you, you're bound to get a bad meal. You're bound to get a Mr. Tickle in your shake at some point. <laughs> you're bound to get a Mr. Tickle in your shake. I, I feel like Arby's are people that go to Arby's are, uh, they're sort of like people that have mullets. Like, and it just kind of connects here because people with mullets are so proud of their hair. No one else in the world would like want a mullet necessarily or like say they think that that's for them. However, the people with mullets love them. They're proud of them. They're loyal to them. They love talking about them. And so that's how people feel about Arby's. And that's probably why you see so many people with mullets at Arby's because there's there's just a pride. If you're an Arby's guy, you're you're proud of it. You you won't, don't mind talking about it. You 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 hold your beef and cheddar up in the air and say yes, this is mine, and you're gonna have some good reviews. I think that's my that's my uh, opinion on that survey. That's my opinion on that. I cut my mullet 15 years ago. I am never cutting Arby's out of my life. <laughs> Somebody cut that clip, please. <laughs> I want that. I want that forever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to, uh, what's going on? How does Hamilton handle the snow? How, how's the snow removal in Hamilton? Is it solid? You know, or is it I, just like some, some dude with a truck, you know, and like, it's got like a, a janked up, like single shovel that's like been duct taped to the front of his truck. Like what, what's, although I feel they may take their snow removal pretty seriously out there. They do. It, it, it all changed. There was one year. I cannot remember the year. I remember where I was when the snow came. I, I was at the old Argosy Casino, and they were expecting snow, but I don't think they're expecting how much they got. And I, I walked out of there at 2 or 3 in the morning, and it was coming down. It was – I mean, I think we ended up getting 14 inches that that time, and the city came to a stop. And they, it had always been the running joke about there was only, like you said, one or two snow plows, and, and – Ever since that snow, and I'm thinking this was like 03, 04, somewhere around that time frame. Ever since that huge snow, they have really got their act together. I live on a side street, and you never used to see plows at all. And now you, they repeated passes. Even even the small little streets in in my neighborhood, in the Linwald neighborhood, some of them you can't. You can only get a car. You know, if there's a car coming the other way, someone has to pull over and let let them through. These small little streets, they plow them. So I I will give Hamilton props for that. The the snow removal at, for the last 15 or 16 years has been really good. Can I tell you the best part of that story, Jay? That I was at a casino till two or three in the morning. <laughs> that, with a, with starts with, all right, so I'm walking out of the Argosy at two to three in the morning, right? <laughs> of course you are. How many stories do you have that start that way? Is the real question from back in the day. That's what I mean. I like that you. I, I, maybe that's why you can't remember the year because you have so many stories that start that way. They all run together, and that was that was a huge <laughs> night. That was one of my biggest winning nights, which is why I was there. So that's late. why you remember it. That's right. And the fact that I drove home in an absolute blizzard. I was the only one on the road. It's kind of fun then. You hate driving in snow when there's other drivers that you got to deal with because they're terrible. But when you're, when you're all alone out on a road in the snow like that, it was kind of cool. Oh, you're, you're a total like, uh, you know, rev it up and try to get some good sliding going on. Maybe do some donuts out there type of guy for sure. But I, definitely, definitely in the Argosy at 3 a.m. days. I, I totally fit in the old George Carlin joke about anyone that drives slower than you is a moron and anyone that drives faster than you is a maniac. That, that's me. That's, <laughs> I'm the only one doing it right. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, that's that's this week, and that's so Hamilton. <laughs> uh, all right. So we, of course, will be back. Uh, we had the bonus episode. Coming up on Thursday, we will talk to Vic, uh, who covers the Raiders uh, for the Athletic out in the Bay Area. Uh, we will have Joe Goodberry breaking down a little bit of uh, what we uh, saw from this past weekend's game uh, against the Ravens. And uh, much, much more as we uh, get ready to take our trip out to the West Coast. Um, 
So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, we recommend it, as you might imagine. It's uh, it's very affordable. Just, you know, looking at 250 3 bucks a month. And you can have access to all the Paul and Jay that you want, plus like, you know, 400-plus other reporters across the country and the continents. Premier League action, if you're into that, we have multi- – you can get three different reports on Everton's sucking – if you're an Everton fan like me, uh, all kinds of other stuff. But anyway, thanks everybody for listening to hear that podcast growling, and uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Bye.